Hello. I'm in America next week. I can't wait. Can you believe it? I'm visiting Texas for the annual gathering of the American Pilgrims on the Camino. That's about three or four days uh, just outside of San Antonio. And then I'm heading north. I'm doing a show at Don Quixote Restaurant in Valparaiso, Indiana. And that's 5 p.m. on Friday, March the 15th. That's Chicago time, 5 p.m. And if we sell that out, we'll do an 8 p.m. show as well. You can get tickets on my website, danmullinsmusic.com, danmullinsmusic.com. This is going to be fantastic, a really great evening, maybe two shows, but certainly it'll be a great night. And if you want to come along, go to my website, danmullinsmusic.com. Don't be surprised if the ticket looks like it costs $75. That's Australian dollars. It's only 50 US dollars. So click on there, buy your tickets. Emil and a show for $50 is fantastic. So that's on the Friday the 15th. And then on Saturday the 16th, I'm doing a very, very special show in Baraboo at the University of Wisconsin. It's 1006 Connie Road, Baraboo, Wisconsin. There's free parking there. It's in the Oral Umhaufer Administrative Building. Now, that's at 5 p.m. There's a shell ceremony earlier in the day, and then I'll do a concert in the afternoon as well. So get in touch with the local chapter if you'd like to come along, the local Camino chapter, and they'll be putting it all in their their, uh, newsletter in the next week or so. So that's just going to be absolutely fantastic as well. I can't wait to meet everybody up in Wisconsin as well. Sounds just sensational. So a couple of shows outside of those shows in Texas as well. uh, And it's going to be really exciting. Let's get into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins and it's great to have your company. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago or the way of St. James. St. James was one of Christ's apostles. He walked alongside Jesus as he travelled the countryside spreading his word. James was a fisherman and Jesus was a fisher of men. The Camino is a place you'll find spirit and adventure, where you'll find time to explore the inner you. Or maybe you just want to go on an epic adventure. It's really up to you. But the point is, you're rarely judged on the Camino. And you find a sense of peace in the freedom to be yourself. And that's just a wonderful thing to be able to do. Sometimes we need to take time out for ourselves. Our family, our friends will thank us for it. Our communities will be richer for it. Our lives will benefit in unimaginable ways. Albert Einstein said, Learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. The important thing is not to stop questioning. And the Camino is a great place to find answers. There are 80,000 kilometres of Camino paths across Europe. There's an Australian Camino in Victoria and in South Australia. Pilgrims walked a Camino of sorts in Tasmania earlier this year. There are trails of discovery and enlightenment in North America, the UK, and of course the 88 Temples Walk in Japan. And I have the Prince Edward Island Walk on my bucket list too. 
In my chat with Darlene Pottergill last week, Darlene mentioned the Cape Camino in South Africa. I was intrigued, so I thought I'd find out what it's all about. It started as a passion project for Gabrielle Andrew, who now runs it with her daughter, Peggy. Gabrielle and Peggy are on the line from South Africa. Welcome, pilgrims. Thank you. Thank you. Gabrielle, take us back. How did the Camino come into your life? Oh, gosh. Over the years, I'd heard about it. And then time just presents itself um, with the opportunity. I'd, I'd always had a kind of imagination in my mind. I think sort of thoughts in my mind about it, what it was, but I didn't really know. And then I got divorced and the children left home. There's an old joke about when life, where does life begin? And the rabbi um, argues with the priest and some say at conception and some say at birth. But the joke is that life begins when the children leave home and the dogs die. And I was sort of at that phase in my life. My daughter was at university and she got a university leave and we decided to jump on an aeroplane out of the blue and fly across the world. We didn't book a single night and we just leapt into this idea not really knowing what was going to happen. And things just unfolded as they did. And we learnt as we went along and everything was unexpected. And But I come, with a, I come with a community eye. I'm a community facilitator. So I was a consumer. I was enjoying it for my own purposes, much like your introduction about your own questions and your own answers in your, in your own life. But I was also observing what it did to and for and with the country folk and how it raised capacity. And that was very powerful and important for me. Yeah, yeah. It is very important in your whole vision, your whole charter. And we'll get to that in a little while. But Peggy, let's go back then to that Camino. What did you make of it? This sudden pilgrimage, do you remember? What do you remember most about that first Camino with your mum? Yes. So, wow. It was, I was, I honestly hadn't heard of the Camino before that. Um, Pretty much a few weeks before we'd actually gotten onto an airplane and went to Spain. And so I was 20 at the time. Yes, 20. And for me, it was a huge adventure just to be able to walk every day by myself. You know, because we walked, my mom and I walked different paces. We ended up spending the two and a half weeks to three weeks actually by ourselves, which is quite common on Camino. You do, you know, you do spend the, the walking time solo. And that just gave me such time to kind of just be and to think and to kind of just check in with myself and also so much joy when I got back from Camino I really just felt so light and so happy and it's it's kind of just put things into perspective for me I wasn't really yeah just it kind of just it just made me feel so good yeah. um also the people that I met on on that first Camino very unlikely people um, who I connected with, and that has been such a central thing for me when walking a Camino is that, you know, your differences just drop away. It doesn't matter where you come from, even what language you speak, and you connect because you're on the same path together, you're doing the same activity, and you're benefiting from it, and you're feeling it. So I really came away with that feeling. Wow, how fantastic. So, Gabriel, tell us how then this mother-daughter Camino, this great journey and this very spontaneous journey manifested into the Cape Camino? Because really it was part of your vision, wasn't it? 
Yes, it's a sort of bug that that, that bites you, Dan. You you, you have <laughs> to walk. Yeah. You know, after about Pegs and I walked for about three weeks, and after about two weeks, it was just a state of exhaustion, and we took a day off. And after the day off, we were literally itching to get back on the road. You 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 really have to walk, and the itch stays with you. So when I got back to Cape Town, I lived in a suburb called Constantia, and I walked to a suburb called called Cork Bay, which is 25 kilometers away from Constantia. And anybody living in Cape Town goes, wow, that's a long way. But 25 kilometers is sort of the average that we walked there in Spain. So I would pack a sandwich and I would pack 20 rand, which is equivalent in your money to $2. And in 2011, that bought me a coffee and a tip. And I set off with this have-to-walk feeling. And along the way, I just met my country. I, when, when Peggy was 20, I was 50. We're 30 years apart. I just met my country in a new way for the first time. All the little suburbs and nooks and crannies that you just whiz past in a car, I took in on foot. And the flora and the fauna, and in particular the people, we've got, we've got incredible diversity in our land. Diversity is really is one of our central words and concepts. And our first people, for me, are a very uh, important group. And they are an interesting group, and I'm sure that there's commonalities with the first people worldwide. But our first people, because of the um, cultural side that happened, not just the genocide, but the cultures were taken away, many of our young uh, Khoi's son have taken to Rastafaria as a home um, for their culture. So I met all these interesting Rastafarians along the way who are not interested in joining mainstream Western capitalist society. So when people think they do them a favor by giving them a job and a suit and a car, it's, it's not of interest. And these young men are incredibly well-versed in, in our ancient languages, in our plants, in their culture, um, and in traditional ways. And I had these extraordinary conversations and experiences which evoked in me a real passion for our first people. And then, of course, with our diversity just laid out, it was almost like our country or the Cape, I don't know the rest of the country as well, is laid out for a Camino. The paths were all there. There's mountains, there's forests, there's city. So this was in the city of Cape Town. I, I was in the city of Cape Town at the same time, and it's a wonderfully rural metropolitan city, sort of joining villages to villages, the suburbs you could almost call villages, and there's sort of 20 Ks in between each. So I just walked and walked and walked and walked, and then um, an idea came to my head, which is to do the first leg, which was from Constantia to Cork Bay. And then um, I heard a inner in a voice that said, no, 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 there's no such thing as the first leg. This is your project. You're going to take on the whole thing. <laughs> so I just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a rebel, but I'm quite an obedient rebel. rebel. So I said, okie dokie. And I just kept walking and kept walking all around the peninsula until I'd found the path right around the entire Cape Peninsula, which is 164 kilometers, and found the people who wanted to host and found the individuals who wanted to chaperone. And then that is when Peggy joined me. We did our first launch route where we, all the way until now, every centimeter that we launch, we have to walk first. And we gathered a group of people together, mostly young uns. I was pro probably the oldest. Maybe there were one or two aunties my age. But otherwise, um, there, there was, a, a good, again, a good diversity of us. And we walked the entire route. And so the Cape Camino was launched, but only around the peninsula. 
So, Peggy, why don't you give us now the overall description of what the Cape Camino is as it exists today? We've had the background from Gabrielle. Tell us what you've ended up with now, Peggy. Yes, sure. So we so we started with the peninsula, which was seven to nine days. And then we were picked up as a project, um, as an agritourism project by the Department of Agriculture to um, extend the route uh, down a, a popular river in the Western Cape called the Berg River. So we worked with them for about six months and then the route, route started to grow. And then it's the change, uh, we kind of, things just shifted with where we were fitting in with within their kind of uh, portfolios and projects. And we dropped away from them and we carried on developing the route, which is now 700 kilometers. Wow. And um, so from seven days, it's now 40 days and still growing and moving. And there's still one section that needs to be connected from where you end in the countryside back to the peninsula. And yeah, so pilgrims typically start, although you don't have to start anywhere, like we know there's very few rules with Camino, but typically pilgrims start in what we've called the Wineland section. And that's, um, yeah, that's uh, about an hour from Cape Town if you had to drive there. And it's set in the Winelands, which is a very popular area in the Western Cape. Um, and we've kind of, we've called, we've broken up the route into these different sections and we've called them these lovely names, which is kind of to re- romanticize the area, but also to explain the setting. So the first section, which is about seven to nine days, and it does depend on the distances you walk um, per day to kind of make up how long that section is. The first section is the winelands. Then we move um, into the farmlands, which uh, typically your hosts are more Afrikaans speaking. We're calling it the Burakos section now too, which is uh, a very typical Afrikaans cuisine. Uh, and Afrikaans culture is obviously um, South African, very um, South African. And from the from the farmlands, you then hit the Sandfelt. Um, and in in August and September, that's our wildflower. That's where the wildflowers start blooming. So that is just an incredible phenomenon at that time of year. So it's very popular in August and September. From the Sandfelt, we then um, walk to the west coast. We then stick to the coast for a couple days until we... Uh, or in fact, quite a few days, and passing through coastal towns, you've got the icy west coast water, and you've got these sweet little fishermen villages that you stop over and stay at, um, and that also is big in the flower season. There's lovely, you know, there's just fields of or, or particular fechis that grow on the dunes, so also very popular in flowers. Mm. Um, and then you get to Langebaan, which so that's about ten days later, and then. We take transport, but as Gabriel, who's the route developer, uh, will say, you know, it's all about articulated needs. So it's when the host, when the people on the ground say, bring the route here, it's all about the the people on the ground, the community owns the route. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, so then from from Langebaan, we, we, you jump in a, a little transfer and you get to the peninsula and then the peninsula is just rich with all sorts of diversity, especially the sacred sites. And that is one of our main Caminos. There is that sacred element, not just in your heart and your head, but also what's going on the ground. The churches host the, the route in Spain. And, um, but, you know, we've got such diversity. Our country is just huge on diversity. So as Gabriel was saying, the first people, our indigenous people, 
and then you know Buddhist tea houses and Catholic shrines and Jewish synagogues and you know all sorts um, naturalist spaces uh, labyrinths. So and then you and Table Mountain. Table Mountain in itself is a sacred oh, site. Wow, how fantastic! You know, Gabrielle, I, I read on the website, it's not about the pilgrim. A big part of what you do is bringing wealth, opportunities, and power to local communities and small business. You're supporting family-run establishments. The revenue generated goes directly to the communities, which creates employment and business sustainability. So that's a lot of work. You've done a lot of work to establish these relationships. It must have been a lot of work to gain their trust as well. This has been a big a big project, right? Yes, absolutely. That's my main purpose in life, I think, Sam, is that's my job. Yeah. And the purpose of the Cape Camino is is not just sustainability, but it's peace and unity as well as sustainability. And I've changed the word sustainability to thrive. Who wants to sustain when you can thrive? And South Africa is one of the richest nations on earth, and Africa is one of the richest continents on earth. And we need an empowerment program where we can recognize that wealth and utilize our own wealth and stand together doing that. You know, apartheid has been very effective in keeping us apart. So unity is a big subject. So this, the Camino itself is a chain and we're as strong as our weakest link. And it's wonderful to watch one community helping the other community. When we book our, our Caminos, if you book for nine days and we open up a WhatsApp just group just for those nine days, and one to nine are all on the group and they're all talking to each other and are you ready for this and who's coming through and what do they mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. and do you need anything and do you need any help? So just the communication between the hosts has been fantastic. A, a, a more resourced host brought a less resourced host who followed who follows her in the, on, the, on the route beds and mattresses as an act of generosity. And those sort of things happen all the time. They're called Camino Spirit and they're very heartwarming. And it really, it really works. It really is that way. South Africans and rural people, in, I think worldwide, are very open-hearted, generous, generous people. And they open their doors and they open their hearts. They just need a kind of connection to get them going, to get them working together, talking together. And they're extremely generous and it's wonderful to watch. Yeah, I love that I saw on your website it said, a Camino is a national asset. It's a dynamic and organic unfolding of new roots, new sacred spaces and hosts as the locals embrace this new idea, participate and take ownership. I love that. That's a really great charter. So Peggy, why don't you explain to the listeners, what does a typical day look like on the Cape Camino? Okay, well, I would say there isn't a typical day because the the route is so diverse and different. Each day is so different to the next. What pilgrims normally go through is you wake up at first light, and especially in the warmer seasons, you wake up at first light and you kind of set off soon after waking. Um, And your hosts pack you uh, a packed lunch. So often pilgrims don't, you know, you don't want to have a big sit-down breakfast before you're going to set off for 20 kilometers. So you pick and choose what you want. Often hosts will put out an array of food that you can pack with you. You bring your own lunchbox with you also to reduce plastic usage. Um, and then off you go and you, and you, you, you walk for between 15 and 25 kilometers per day, uh, depending on the terrain will obviously increase the intensity of the walk. And then, yeah, and then you get to your, you get to your host 
and your hosts are always so welcoming and you kind of, I mean, typically you'd want to put your feet up and just relax for the afternoon. There's at some centers, some of the villages along the way, there's lots to do and see, wine tasting and all sorts of things. But we know as pilgrims, you are pooped at the end of the day. Yeah. So you just want to relax and kind of just, you know, cool off a bit. And then the evenings and the more rural communities, you'll have dinner with your hosts. So they, you have a kind of family dinner with them uh, if, if that's the setting. Otherwise, you'll wander out to a restaurant and have your meal there, and then, yeah, have an early night. Gabrielle, tell me, you, you mentioned before, or Peggy may have mentioned it, about Afrikaans. That's the Afrikaans section. You'll be eating Afrikaans cuisine. What's an Afrikaans meal like? What am I eating if I'm sitting down to a dinner in an Afrikaans village? Okay, well, it's very difficult to sort of boil it down to one thing, but if one has to, it's place, rice, and article, which means... Um, Meat, rice, and, and, and potatoes. Right. Um, but it's a, a, what, what we call a board course, a plate of food. But the Afrikaner is very, very fond of brying too, what you would call barbecuing. Oh. So there's a lot of outside eating. There's a lot of meat, fresh vegetables from the garden. The farmers all grow their own vegetables. They'll have, uh, they'll have their, it's, it's very fresh and healthy food. There'll be everything from the land. There'll be milk from the farm, a lot of cheese made. And the local wines are, are, are made. So it's a hearty meal of meat and potatoes, of meat and vegetables. Just what you need at the end of the day. So uh, the package that we put together um, that we provide is two meals. As, as Peg says, one is packed. It's two meals, accommodation. And then we also you know since many South Africans are nervous of crime. But I think the fear of crime is more, is more prevalent than the actual crime, particularly in the rural communities. So we also employ chaperones, and the model for the chaperones is based on something I learned um, from what they do in mid-Africa, the young men, the young poachers who used to cut off the hands and the feet of the gorillas were then used in the tourist industry to capitalize on their tracking skills. So our, our jails are filled with young men between the ages of 18 and 28. Um, so we use that demographic to give them something to do, to get them walking, to get them being role models in their own communities, and be successful with it about half the time. Otherwise, we have local people walking you, the aunties or the farmers or the farmers' wives or friends, and more and more and more people are requesting to walk without chaperones. And the chaperone is not a guide, which is why we don't use that word. They just hang around. They just make sure that you get from A to B, and then when, when your luggage is taken to B, they're picked up and taken home. But it's particularly they're particularly useful on the peninsula where there is the cities are uh, do have more crime and we do employ a fabulous man called Faisal who's an ex gangster and personally uh, I'd rather be escorted by a gangster than by a boy scout in a hot spot and he's he's absolutely fabulous he's reformed like the word diversity keeps coming up he's a coy man but he also has Jewish roots he also has Christian roots, and he has koi roots and koi traditionalism in him. So he's a he's a, a whole range of diversity and a sacred site in and of himself. Sorry, I've moved from Africana. You know, South Africa is has got a lot a lot of Africana, and regardless of the nationalities, our, our white people are Afrikaans, and our coloured folk are Afrikaans. So there's a there's some there's similarities in the in the cultures. 
but there's also differences. So it's quite it's quite difficult to just say Afrikaans and, and sure. uh, include all Afrikaans speaking people. Sure. Um, I, I, at the risk of being coming a broken record, diversity, diversity, diversity. Um, Peggy mentioned the sacred ways that are practiced on the peninsula. There are 14 different sacred ways practiced. So you may find Afrikaners, especially modern Afrikaners and young Afrikaners, that eat a more kind of trendy um, um, contemporary diet. But the Afrikaners that, that are on the route really eat from the land. They eat meat and vegetables and milk and cheese and fresh. It's all fresh and organic. They may not even know the name, the word organic, but it's, 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 it's grown like grandma used to do it. Wow. And it's cooked like grandma used to do it. And half the times, as Peg says, they're invited around the table to enjoy the meal with the family. And half the time they're left on their own. They've just left the food in, in, in their accommodation. And pilgrims have reported how they love this mix to sometimes be left alone. Some of the farmers have actually converted some of their animal buildings into accommodation, into Camino accommodation, what the Spanish would call albergues. We've got farmers who have converted attics, which in this country are called solos, into albergues. But we don't like to go more than 10 um, at, at any one time. So there are these small establishments that farmers have created. There's a farmer who's who's changed an old uh, deserted school building into a, into a pilgrim accommodation, and they have their Buddha course delivered to them. I read on the website, a pilgrim's journey has purpose and intention for you and you alone. This is what sets it apart from a hike or a walk, and it's a lot to do with what I said in the introduction. You say the team at Cape Camino have organized for you the best of our ability, access to information to assist you with your journey, but it remains your journey and your responsibility to use the experience to best maximize your intention. Peggy, I said in the introduction, the Camino and pilgrimage in general lends itself to a sense of awakening. You and your mother experienced that on the Camino. That's a big part of what you do too on the Cape Camino, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. What sort of experiences are people describing to you, Peggy? What are you hearing from people who walk the Cape Camino? Well, I think uh, the the fact that we have f- about 40% returning pilgrims is really testament to that, that, you know, they, they're growing, they, 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 they're healing. The healing, that word is so central to pilgrims. Yeah, they're spending time by themselves, they're, learning about themselves and, and they're just feeling good. They, 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 they're feeling good. The personal growth. Personal growth is a big one for pilgrims who walk Cape Camino and what's going on internally. And then, you know, there's also the friendships that they make with other pilgrims and the friendships they make with the host. We've had so many pilgrims keep a relationship with the host and the farmers who are selling produce. And then also the adventure, Pilgrims want to take this on as a big adventure, and they realize, you know, they it's 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 safe to walk. It's exploring their own country from a different perspective. The amount of times I've heard pilgrims say, South Africans say, I had no idea that was there, and they've lived in that city for their whole life. So it's it's offering a different perspective to people's experiences, and they're just coming out with big smiles on their faces, and. It's, it kind of, a, in fact, a changed person. And Peggy, what percentage are South Africans compared to international pilgrims who walk the Cape Camino? 
Yeah, so currently we are still majority South African, about 90%, between 85 and 90% South African, coming from all over the country, mostly upcountry. So so the Joburg, Johannesburg area, um, that sort of province. And then, yeah, and then and then the kind of 10 to 15 percent is the international. So very few internationals. And you, you, what's quite popular is getting a group of friends or even, you know, not even friends, but getting a group together as South Africans and taking Cape Camino on as a as an experience together. You know, one of the things about the Cape Camino is that it's new. We're 2000 years behind Camino de Santiago. So our population is still getting used to this idea and they're putting their toe in the water. So they sort of come quite intrepidly for a week and they go, oh, my word, is this what a Camino is? Is this what it's about? This is absolutely fantastic. And as Pegs says that now our our, um, pilgrims are 40% returning. So we're at a different phase to Santiago where our, our nation is learning about this concept and absolutely loving being out there on the road, bringing friends, bringing family. It's seen as a, as a new opportunity for families to get together. We've got teenagers walking with parents. We've even had very young children walking with parents. So there's a, we're right at the beginning of discovering and being delighted and proud. And many of our, our pilgrims really are so proud of having this concept in our country and want to support it in any way they can which is why it is such an expanding movement all the time, because it, it is as strong as its weakest link, and it also is as we make it. You know, Peggy and I are just two people, but the Camino itself involves thousands and thousands of people, and each one brings their own flavor, and every single pilgrim that walks it brings and leaves their flavor. And they're just expressing this excitement at being able to be part of such a wonderful nation-building concept. So I would say excitement is almost one of the main characteristics, as well as all the ones of healing and growth and connecting. But it's just so exciting. I mean, we've got people that say, I cannot wait to do the next section. They're really, really excited to explore, to discover themselves and the local environments. Some of the pictures, Gabrielle, are incredible. That part of the world is exquisite. The the landscape is incredible. How difficult is it to walk the terrain up and down the hills uh, compared to, say, the Camino Frances? When we were walking Santiago route, it reminded me of the Cape all the time. Right. All the time I was thinking. Yeah, I was always thinking, oh, this could be Bredasdorp. Oh, this could be um, the the, the peninsula. It really reminded me of of Cape Town. You know, um, Camino de Santiago is very much our role model and our inspiration. So we keep it flat. Here and there, there's a hill, but that still would be considered flat. Here and there, there's a little scramble when we have to get from A to B. Peggy mentioned earlier on that we use the principle of articulated need, which is a a social... When I do capacity building in communities, we have to make sure that people articulate their need to go through the process. So we use the same principle in the Cape Camino. We don't say to anybody, please be on the Camino. We say, who wants to be on the Camino? And whoever wants to be, then they have to find the route to and from them. And it's predominantly agricultural community. So it's predominantly farm roads. So they're flats. 
So it's very easy walking. It's flat walking, but it's long walking. It's very, very much like Camino de Santiago. Although we have got an exquisite country. I know that I'm biased, <laughs> but it's honestly the most beautiful country in the world. So there's very little scrambling and climbing. The terrain changes. Again, I want to use the word diversity. The terrain changes constantly. Peggy took you through all the sections. And each section, was we, we, we called them those names because the terrain changed as such. It changes, but, but it can be traversed easily on foot. There's very little climbing. There's very little scrambling. It's just one foot in front of the other on farm roads pretty much all the way, just like Spain. What jumped out for, to me on the website was a pull quote that said, creating a culture of peace, unity, and thriving for the whole nation. That's a pretty good goal for something as beautiful as a Camino, Gabrielle. Yes, absolutely. That's been our goal right from the start. We need peace in our land. And, um, you know, whichever religion you're from or sacred space you're from, they all speak the same language, which is the language of peace and love. Assalamu alaikum, which is the greet, greeting in Islam. It's about going in the peace and the love of God. Wherever you go, the language of, of the sacred is about peace and about love. So if we're walking to and between our sacred sites, we're walking in peace. In the rural communities where there's not as many um, formal sacred sites, so to speak, your farmers are very connected to your land and your local people are very connected to the land. And that is a meditative space in and of itself. And that is the space of peace and love. So it's abundant. It's everywhere. And if we can spread our resources more, fair, more fairly and more equally, we're not short of resources. They're just not distributed equally. So if we can um, spread the resources, walk with your resources and leave them in all the villages as you go, so we will thrive and we will thrive together in peace and in love and in unity. Wow, how wonderful. That's fantastic. Peggy, is there a South African equivalent of Buen Camino? You know what, Dan? We've been I've been thinking about this for so long. We um we we don't. We don't have one exactly. No. <laughs> Gabriel, what would you say? What I mean, I mean, I honestly I think about this often. Yeah, it's something that so, we've spoken well, about all the time. The slogan before was um, walk your way. But it's not really something that pilgrims say to one another. So we are we we are really open. I think I think the words will evolve over time yeah. as more pilgrims walk as they communicate with each other. I'm sure they will. What about stamps and a credential, Peggy? Yes, we do have that in place, and each host has their own stamp or sticker, which is unique to their establishment. And we get each pilgrim gets their pilgrim passport, which they get stamped every day. What about a Compostela, a certificate at the end, Peggy? So, Dan, uh, there's only a few pilgrims at this stage that walk the full route. Most pilgrims are walking between seven and ten days and then come back and complete their route. But, yes, we do offer a Compostela at the end, a certificate of completion, which we send you upon you sending us a, some photographs of your of your completed passport. So, I don't want to get tied down about price. But how does it compare, say, to the Camino in Spain? Do you think, Peggy, in, in terms of costs, have you ever done a comparison? 
yes, I have done a comparison and it is a lot cheaper in terms of what services you get on Cape Camino. So we include, and this is the, this is the general, it's not every single case because pilgrims do request to have certain services excluded, but generally uh, your Camino itinerary includes your chaperone fee, um, your accommodation with two meals per day, luggage transfer, and your Camino passport and branded gear, so your T-shirt and your buff and your bag tag. And with those services, it is a lot, a lot, a lot cheaper than Spain. Um, also because you are the, – the level of accommodation is we're trying to find more sort of albergue-type um, stairs, and there are some backpacker lofts kind of stairs, but, you know, you're not sleeping like we did on Camino de Santiago with 100 people in one space. So, you know, the, 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 the hosting facilities are more kind of uh, comfortable. So, Gabrielle, where do I fly to? What's, what city is it, should I fly to in South Africa? Cape Town. And we will organise to fetch you. Oh. We will send you the, the name and number of, of somebody that will come and fetch you and take you to your first for your starting point. Oh, fantastic. On that note, with the transport logistics, we've collected over the years a number of transport service providers. And we that is a service we don't actually include, but we just we pass on the details. You know, you get a whole big pack of a preparation and planning document so that you can do all this planning and organization yourself. Not not the not the logistics on the route, your accommodation, your chaperones, your luggage transfer and your um, meals, but the transport and any other sort of services that you may want, you can connect directly with the host. So there's still that level of responsibility and planning from the pilgrim side. Wow. As I said earlier, the photographs are extraordinary, They're absolutely beautiful. There's some photos of people walking on the beach and you could be anywhere in the world, but it just looks like South Africa, uh, which is which is something I can't wait to experience. I, I'm dying to go to be completely honest. Gabrielle, just before we go, tell us about role players. Well, um, in the process of facilitation, you need to consult with a broad spectrum of role players. So Peggy mentioned that we were picked up by the Department of Agriculture who are wanting to develop a Camino from source to sea of the Berg River, which is from Franschhoek to Faltrus. And there we had to consult with a whole broad range of role players, which is your tourist industry, your government your sacred sites, your farmers. So whoever is around, this is part of the facilitation process, that you gather them together and you consult with them and you get their, their concerns and you get their buy-in. If you don't do that, you're not going to be successful in a, in a project like this. You're going to have people fighting against you constantly. So you need to identify who all the role players are um, at every level of society, get them talking to each other, get them working with each other. And that's how you formulate any successful movement or any successful project. You need to identify who your role players are. And it's just any and every body that's involved. And you forget about things like hierarchical structures. We don't use that in good um, process facilitation or community development. Everybody is equal. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how much power you have. A role player is a role player, and we all we are all needed in the process. 
So, for example, at the moment, tomorrow morning, I've got a meeting in Paternoster, which is one of our most famous little towns, and probably one of the pictures that you that you googling that you the goggling at that you're enjoying so much could even come from Paternoster. So we've had um, a little breakdown in our accommodation there. The accommodation that we've been using are just so successful and so full that we're needing to find other accommodation. Then we draw on all the role players of the little town. There's people who offer transport, that offer food, that offer accommodation, that offer there's a community there's a there's a, a drug rehabilitation center there. And we use drug rehabilitation centers and other parts on the route to do our chaperoning because it fits with our intention of of using young men to assist young men. They will be called in. So anybody that has any kind of role to play is a role player. And they need to be consulted equally, equally and fairly and together, together, which is when we start the unification and the peace and the community building process. Can I expand on that a little bit more with, with role players in that the pilgrim themselves are also a role player and they have a responsibility to be a guest in the spaces of their host. So... They need to be respectful. They need to be caring. They need to not demand things. And they are part of the whole system, as well as our team, our logistics team, are also role players in the whole scheme of things. And we've got a responsibility to provide as much information as we can and to assist without being too prescriptive, uh, but to kind of assist this whole movement happen smoothly. I think it just sounds absolutely fantastic. I really do. I love the intention. Gabrielle, you're trying to bring your community, your nation together. Peggy, you're trying to develop a community on the actual walk where you're bringing the individual communities together and making them part of this overall Camino. Let me ask you, Gabrielle, do you think now you're happy with the route as it is you you won't add any more to it you're happy this will be the the, the cape camino is f- not not finished but it is complete in its in its entirety uh, i i doubt it dan <laughs> i mean i may i'm i may choose to answer that question as yes but it's not you know in the last 2 weeks i've been contacted by five different communities outside the route saying we'd like to be on the cape camino and again, this principle of articulated need, you tell us how to get to you and from you and mm. we'll work with you. I see it as an organic animal that just expands, expands. My great big audacious dream is that it joins up with walking routes across the country and we will be able to step out of your door and walk across the country into and between and amongst each other. So it is, you know, although we definitely want to attract foreigners, it is for your nation. And we saw this in Spain as well. We walked during one of the school holidays and we saw these belligerent teenagers being dragged across the country by their parents. And we saw people repeating their holidays over and over again. It's very much for the nation. And they and we learned there that that that, that it was a good idea to have it on your CV, that if you went for job applications or if you tried to get into universities and things, it was important for the nation for you to, to have walked this this concept that you show yeah. tenacity, that you show patriotism, that you show endurance, that you show an ability to to put up with d- discomfort. And I foresee similar kind of intent for this country. I would love to see it expand across the country. 
And as I say, although we were we work on the principle of articulated need, we were still encouraging articulation. Now the articulation is coming out of the woodwork on its own. As we become more popular and more well-known, people are saying, oh, I want to be part of that. And oh, I want to be part of that is something we want to hear from people, whether you're a host or whether you're a pilgrim, if you're a participant, it doesn't matter. It's all the same community. So we really would like the entire nation to embrace this concept and to hold hands and together we provide each other and ourselves peace, unity and thriving. Peggy, last word to you. A message to my listeners. Why should I walk the Cape Camino? To experience South Africa on foot and to be amazed by our wonderful generosity that's felt from every angle, the care and, 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 and love from the people on the ground, and as well as to, to grow, to, to be a better person, to let go of the things that are not serving you, and to find joy in the small things. Oh, wow. What a great answer. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you both. I think it sounds incredible. I, I can't wait to do it, and I will, I can assure you. And I'll tell my listeners where to find you at the end of the interview. In the meantime, congratulations on the extraordinary achievement of establishing and now running the Cape Camino. I'm delighted for you both, not just because it's now turning into a nation-building and community-building exercise, but it's also a mother and daughter exercise, which is just simply beautiful in itself. That pilgrimage, that adventure, how great to have each other along the way, walking side by side is so beautiful. And you've done brilliantly explaining everything today, inviting the world to come and walk with you, to experience the beauty and culture of your, your country and your people. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I'm going to say Buen Camino, but I look forward in the very near future to you contacting me to say, Dan, we have our own Buen Camino. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. Thank you, Peggy. Thank, Thank you so you, much, Dan. Dan. My guests this week, the mother-daughter team, Gabrielle Andrew and Peggy Quetzer Andrew, founders and operators of Cape Camino in South Africa. You can find them at capecamino.co.za capecamino.co.za. I'll see you there. <laughs> Albert Einstein said, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. The important thing is to not stop questioning. And the Camino, and maybe the Cape Camino, is a great place to find the answers. That's all we have time for this week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. <laughs>